We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. We're here. I wish I could keep this feeling. I wish I could keep this feeling. What up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Corner Podcast. Kel Dansby here with the old man, Andreas Hale. And it is time for our wrestling show, wrapping up the week, giving you everything that happened at Wrestle Kingdom, Raw, AEW, NXT. It is a show packed full of pro wrestling. So we're going to get straight into it. Old man, how are you feeling so far today? And are you ready to recap Wrestle Kingdom? Yeah, man, I, I, I'm ready. What about you? You sound tired. You all right? Yeah, man, I was uh, running around. I tried not to take up too much of our podcast time, but I had to go get a rental so I could drive down Atlantic City and the rental spot is not close. So it's up by the airport. And it took me like 30 minutes to get up there. 35 and 35 to come back. So that was kind of an unnecessary unnecessary trip for me today. And then I was rushing to come back because I had stuff to do. I had to do a post. So I'm kind of really just like scrambling. So it's nice to sit down and finally talk some wrestling and I could breathe for a second. Um, the good part is, though, I went up there and they gave me like an unlimited upgrade. So I chose a two door coupe Mustang. So I'm going to be doing like a hundred down to Atlantic City tomorrow. Oh, well, that sounds fun. You should enjoy that. Yeah, it can't be too bad, man. ESPN, they 
they treat you right when you can just get whatever rental car you want. They were like, hey, do you want this Nissan Rogue? I was like, get that out of here. Give me something sporty and the dash is crazy. So that should be enjoyable, man. But it was a, it was a crazy day for me today. Um, a lot of work. Your company give me a lot of work. Who throws a random ass press conference for Jake and Logan Paul when the fight's like at the end of the month? So I've been just stacked with work because of that. Oh, well, I ain't got nothing to do with that. So uh, that's not none of my concern. I'll have to worry about yeah. when, I, when I go to Miami in a couple of weeks. I was supposed today. I was actually supposed to be on a shoot with uh, Jib, the cat, the cat uh, Jake Paul is fighting. And YouTubers being YouTubers. They just don't give a shit. So they couldn't give me a time to come down and shoot with them. So I, I know the, the zone, we're doing a 40 days with them. So the, they're going to go shoot with them. Me, I'm not. I'm sitting here. I'm not doing any of that shit. I'm not chasing around YouTubers. I'll worry about that during Super Bowl week, which is... I, I don't even know how I'm going to get through that. I got a YouTube fight. We got the Android fight. We got Tevin Farmer and uh, Jojo Diaz. And then we got the damn Super Bowl. I don't know what that's that's gonna be crazy. So I'm trying to relax while I can now. So you do all the running around, go to Atlantic City. I'm chilling. <laughs> Are you enjoying and like going to partake in the Super Bowl activities in Miami, or are you gonna be an old man and just chill in the hotel room? I plead the fifth. <laughs> <laughs> it's fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, let's dive straight into Wrestle Kingdom. Because we have a lot to talk about. Night one and night two were stacked. I want to start off with night one specifically. Because to me, night one, standalone, was probably the best pay-per-view I've seen all year. And this is including AEW pay-per-views, NXTs. If we go calendar year between last Wrestle Kingdom and now... This one was by far the best. It might be one of the best pay-per-views I've seen shit since mid-2000s, early 2000s. It was hard to top this top to back, front to back, because every match told a story. Yeah, I mean, I think it was fun, man. I mean, we know what to expect when Wrestle Kingdom comes around. For those of you that have been following us, we've been, you know, preaching the end uh, New Japan story forever, so... Hopefully you guys finally caught the wave and realized, like, I keep saying this, the best wrestling in the world is in New Japan. Like, I love NXT. I love AEW, which we'll talk about later. And, you know, I still watch WWE, you know, Ring of Honor, and they've been in the shits, but they had their run. Nothing has been better than New Japan Pro Wrestling. So this particular night, um, night one, even the mixed tags were cool. But then, man, when it ramped up towards the end, and that's what Wrestle Kingdom does better than anybody else. It kind of sets you up for like the big matches down the stretch but no matches like incredibly whack there's a few things that i was like eh, like the grills of destiny and juice and david finley match was whatever but for i mean there's never really a bad match even the juice and thunder liger send off that's kicked off the show that was a fun match they just do it right exactly and that was something that you usually don't get at Wrestle Kingdoms. You don't get that like first match of the night payoff. Usually it's a bunch of guys who aren't scheduled on the card. You throw them into an eight-man tag. One guy actually matters. He gets a pin. Hurrah, hurrah. That'll carry him to in his storyline into the rest of the year. But this one was the send-off 
You knew Liger. They let him get his spot, his spots in. He still looked like he can go. Like it's one of those things where you're like, do you really have to retire? So uh, especially after we watched AEW this week, which we'll get into, and their parade of old men, I think Jushin Thunder Liger could stick around for a while if that's the other people being paraded on television. But I thought that match on night one was handled well. And then uh, I even enjoyed the Suzuki-Goon LIJ match where I didn't really see LIJ losing, but surprise, surprise, they did. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're right. Everything told a story. So it was like each match had something to do with someone else. And usually, you know, New Japan is notorious for having a bunch of like eight-man, you know, tag matches and stuff like that. But usually they're working towards something. Even when G1, when you're watching G1, it's like, well... Tanahashi and Sonata wrestling tomorrow, so they're both going to be part of this mixed tag, so we're going to see who picks up the pinfall, blah, blah, blah. These were still entertaining. So, yeah, like Suzuki Goon, um, I mean, we got the big payoff on night two because everybody, including myself, was pissed that Minoru Suzuki didn't have a singles match. Um, and then we found out why. But, uh, man, again, it's, it was just, anybody who hasn't watched it, do yourself a favor. Um... No respect to my, my people that fight because I love them and they give me like a free pass to watch everything. But sign up for New Japan World. It's 10 bucks a month. And you could watch Wrestle Kingdom for 10 bucks. Why? Why are you not doing this? Are you spending like, I get it. You know what I'm saying? Like, you spend your $10 or $12, whatever the fuck it is, to get WWE Network. But if you love pro wrestling, why don't you have New Japan? This is, you need to watch this show. It's mandatory watching. I can't call you a pro wrestling fan if you don't watch this. Period. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I paid like $7.99 for mine. It's semantics. It is worth the price. And I got my money my money's worth on this one. So after Suzuki Goon and Minori Suzuki, who we'll talk about here in a second, we also had Chaos versus Bullet Club. A match I didn't see Bullet Club losing, but here I feel like all my predictions were shit this past weekend. Everything we said last week on the show, it all went out the window because they did twist and turn and set up stuff on night one for night two perfectly. I feel like the pacing on night one was just constantly going, constantly going. And then on night two, you saw that some people had ailments. It, it was slower. It was methodical. And it was perfect because it kept that storyline. People weren't fresh. You weren't going to get the crazy spots you got on night one. You weren't going to get, you know, 50-minute matches. These guys were giving it their last on night two. And that continuity was, was perfect. But this chaos match, we see Ishii was in it. Goto, I'm surprised that they won. And another thing with this match, I'm never going to be a fan of Yano. <laughs> Ever. I, I don't get it. But he had some funny spots in this one. Usually it's super corny. This one, I was like, oh, all right, I get it. Yeah, again, you know, Toriano, is, he's the comedic guy. You know, he's a character wrestler. <laughs> so, I get it. You know, him running into the corner, taking off the pad. It's like, it's a thing. It's like it's like Hanma, who we don't see a lot of anymore, with trying to nail that headbutt. It just becomes comedy after a while because it just never happens. And when he does, people <laughs> pop for it. Because you had to work for that head, but you missed it like 37 times. You finally land one. Um, but, yeah, another good match, man. I, 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 you know, I'm just waiting to get to the, the meat and potatoes of this. I mean, we're going through the matches. They were fun. But, yo, again, when this joint picked up, I mean, 
What which which match match is next? I'm not even looking at the match rundown. I'm like do, doing Finn this off Juice of memory. versus Gorillas of Destiny. Yo, first of all, Juice's facial hair and his haircut look crazy. Oh. He is horrible right now. Like the the whole aesthetic <laughs> doesn't work. What is his gimmick? I don't get it. I, I've never I been know. a Juice guy. For a second, you liked him when he left NXT. When he first got to New Japan, you were like, "Yo, no, this is pretty good. I like what they're redoing." with juice robinson or whatever the hell his name was before this and he has a cool finisher name like okay outside of that i can't i can't get with it no i think juice is doing much better than when he was in cj park in nxt um i'm enjoying the juice character more now but lately i haven't cared as much uh the u.s title runs i didn't care about the few with jay white was good but uh this just has it left a lot to be desired man and uh him and David Finlay, as, as we talked about last week, like the tag team division kind of stinks. The the heavyweight <laughs> tag team division in New Japan is, yes, isn't all does. that fun. Except, except now, which we'll talk about, is that it, clearly they're going with Kota Ibushi and Tanahashi as a tag team. Um, but like Again, this match, I didn't see Grills of Destiny losing. They ended up taking the pin. Um, which ended up being a pretty good match. Like The final five minutes of this match was pretty good. Uh, but, I, yeah, Juice, I don't think he's terrible. I think he's better than he was in NXT. But it's just some goofy shit, man. And, I, and it's hard for me to buy into the Juice and David Finley tag team as being something I should be scared of. Um, they don't seem like a big threat. But yet still, they're now the tag team champions. Yep, they win, which makes no sense to me. But there was a stat commentary gave out where it was like six of the past seven years, the tag titles have changed hands. And the winner of the tag tournament wins it every time. So I'm like, all right, whatever. That's fine with me if this has to happen. I just don't know what's next. Are they a permanent tag team when the guy goes and challenges for a title the next night? And he wins this belt, which completely let the air out of his sails the next night for me. Because I knew what was going to happen. He's going to be a champ champ? No. So I didn't understand the booking for this match and i'm just not with fin juice so that's obviously not where the pay-per-view picked up uh i would say that's probably my least favorite match of the night that's fair that tag Um, match you know what i'm not gonna say like when they won it made me wonder because i mean we talked about it last week is what are they doing with moxley because i said moxley's not losing the arch i figured he'd win but i was like well what does this mean because as soon as juice won i kind of said the same thing i was like well moxley has to win but then in the back of your head i was like can he because you know he's AEW. when is he going to defend this u.s title we found out later why um but i wasn't too sure because i yeah i was thinking i was like there's no way juice could be a double champion but then you never know and they don't really treat they haven't really treated the u.s title like a major title um and it feels like it's better in Moxie's hands than it is in Juice. But we'll see. We'll see. That's very true. Next up was John Moxley versus Lance Archer. It was nice to see Moxley coming out in the jeans instead of the, the little young lion kind of trunks. Um, yeah, those are horrible. So he went back to the jeans. It was a street fight or Texas death match. No pinfall. You had to win by 10 count. It was 14 minutes of blah to me. Maybe my expectations were too high. I didn't know what 
Moxley would pull out, but it's not even the death match he just ran in, what, AEW. He had a better one, I think. It was on AEW Dark than this one. I thought this match with Archer fell short. Yeah, it could have been better. Archer's had a pretty good run, um, after, especially after G1. He surprised a lot of us, and you kind of expected a death match would be uh, a little more physical, maybe. A little bit more, I don't want to say high spots, but it never felt like it peaked. It wasn't, a, again, not a bad match. It just wasn't a match that lived up to the expectations. And you wanted more out of Moxley in this match. You wanted more out of, uh, of Archer. And the finish was cool. I mean, you know, the DDT, I mean, clearly it busted Archer open. Because them New Japan tables, I don't know what them shit's made of. But dudes get hurt on those tables. Um, <laughs> but, the, yeah, the match itself was cool. It just, you know, it, it put us in a position to have the, the Moxley and Juice rematch. Because Moxley never lost the title to begin with. He just couldn't make a flight. So we were working towards something. But the match itself, while serviceable, it wasn't like it didn't blow the doors off anything. And then to follow that is where business picks up. So we have Haramu coming back versus Will Ospreay. (sighs) IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship. And this match played out how we thought it would at least the ending did so takahashi comes he wins the belt he's now the champion and then will osprey looks like a million bucks during this match some of the spots he did were just incredible but you know it's kind of like okay it's time for me to go i have bigger and better things i'm going up to the heavyweight division the junior heavyweight division is in better hands and it's time for Takahashi to carry this this belt and carry this division. Yeah, I mean this match was fantastic. Again, this was this at this point when we saw this match, I was I immediately said I was like, "Hmm, we got a match of the year candidate already." Because mm-hmm. they tore the house down. The finish was fantastic, some of the you know, the bumps that they took. Um, I mean, you know, Again, I said it last week. Somebody said that Osprey was garbage on Twitter. And they ain't let y'all motherfuckers <laughs> say anything on Twitter. Because there's no way that Osprey is garbage. Like, you watch how he has evolved from... I actually watched some like some old... Because remember, he was in ROH for a hot second. And I remember one of the first times I saw Osprey was in PWG. Uh, when me and Marcus went to BOLA maybe five years ago. Or something like that. It was the first time I saw Skrull live. And I think I saw Osprey. And Osprey was really just the flippy guy. Now he's like terribly nuanced. Like he bumps well, he sells well. Um, he knows when the match is peaking. Like and him and Takahashi just got fantastic chemistry. So this match was just it was everything I expected it to be. And then seeing Takahashi get the title back was phenomenal. Um, especially, you know, you think where he was a little over almost two years ago taking that bump from Dragon Lee and you know, a lot of people thought he may never wrestle again. And he just he tore it up. He tore it up. Those two guys tore it up. So, for me, I watched the match twice. You know, it's funny. I actually watched a couple of these matches twice. I never really do that. But I was like, is this a five-star match? And I was like, if it ain't a five-star, it's a 4.75. Because these two killed it. This, and from that point, I was like, yo, this is about to be a fantastic night of wrestling. I think it's easily a five-star match. Like, in the moment, I thought, like, oh, this is the match of the night. I don't know how anything tops this. Lo and behold, you know, New Japan proves me wrong. (laughs) But that doesn't mean that, you know, my opinion of this match changes. I think it was a five-star match. When I watched it, I was 
crazy into it. And I think I tweeted while, while I was watching. I was like, yo, they're going to give me a heart attack. And I still got two more matches to go. Yeah. Some of the spots, a, a guy coming back from a neck injury. I'm just like, oh, you probably shouldn't do this. But you, they did. And it worked out perfectly. And then now we see again. Will Ospreay just doesn't have bad matches. He's the opposite of garbage, whatever that is. Yeah, he's a treasure, man. He's he's a treasure. Which actually, before we go in the next match, can we talk about because PWI has named Adam Cole the Wrestler of the Year, and that yes, they have. And I'm not gonna say I'm surprised because Adam Cole had a, a phenomenal year. I just don't think it was better than Ospreay's. And I'm, I think we discussed this last week or the week before, and I, I made it very clear. It's like my rationale behind Osprey is that he does this with everyone. Like, he's made a habit out of making great matches with everyone. And I'm not saying Cole doesn't have great matches, but Cole's great matches were with Gargano. And he's had really, really good matches, but the fact that Osprey arguably had five-star matches with Okada and Shingo in the same calendar year... I don't see, man. I just don't see how anybody was better than Osprey last year. That's just my opinion. I'm not. I don't think it's like a robbery or anything like that. You know, everybody has their own taste. I thought Adam Cole was tremendous. And if you put the entire package together with the undisputed era, the story that was being told, um, just the interest and everything else, it's like, yeah, I can see it. But if we're just talking about a guy who wrestled and elevated his game to an entirely different level again. I thought it was Will Osprey. And Osprey might not have had those, you know, top of the card feuds or stories, but he did a lot of his work in the tournaments. So going through a tournament is a story in itself. And he was able to do that this year. And I, I agree. I Like I said on the show last time, Osprey to me is the number one of the year, but I made a case for, my, for Adam Cole. So I can see why they gave it to him. And I think Adam Cole probably locked it up during that Survivor Series push. Well, it was him versus Daniel Bryan, and that shit was crazy. Yeah, I mean... It, and that's where he showed, like, I can work with people who aren't Gargano. <laughs> like, I can do this. That that was kind of necessary, because if he didn't have what happened with Survivor Series and War Games and Daniel Bryan, and who else did he wrestle on SmackDown? I know he wrestled somebody else. can't remember who it was. Yeah, on Raw? Raw, maybe? Wherever it was. He kind of proved his value that he wasn't just like an NXT guy. The guy can go. And, again, I'm not mad at it. I just... Like, I watched the Osprey Shingo match again, and I was like, dude, this is like the match of the year. Hands down. I think he wrestled Seth Rollins, by the way. Was it Seth? Seth on Raw. So, it's fair. A guy who, like, for a minute, there was a time when Adam Cole showed up on NXT, and I was wondering, like, when are they going to give him the title? Because it felt like it took forever to put the title on him. And it really didn't. But then he, he has this, this 2019 where he's just just turning in these ridiculous matches. And again, not mad at it, but the the upside on Will Ospreay is I just I don't see the this guy just continues to get better. Like between like the Blade Runner, that, that shit looks vicious. Like it looks un like when he cracks you with it, that running backhand or yeah. that back elbow, it looks it looks just savage. And then yeah, you know the Stormbreaker is a the Stormbreaker is just a great finish, um, and then you still have the flippy shit. Like you still have the yeah, the, still have the ox cutter. Yo, there that sequence with the tope into like the, the German, and then Osprey flips lands on his feet, and then runs at Takahashi, and Takahashi throws him between the ropes on a belly to belly. 
you that that sequence, the margin of error was so small because all it took was an inch, and then Osprey would have been caught in the ropes. And he flew right through the ropes, rolled up on his feet, and did another tope back to the outside over the top rope. It's one of the most amazing sequences I've seen in pro wrestling, period, because the precision was ridiculous, the athleticism was ridiculous, and they just kind of nailed it, like, seamlessly. You know what The gift doesn't about? do it justice, yeah. The, <sighs> the gift was all over Twitter. It doesn't even do it justice from watching it live and how fast they were going. And I, I saw people shit on that, on that sequence, on that spot. Like, oh, look how... Look how scripted it is. And this isn't wrestling. That's not real. Oh, he's just going to sit there and wait for him? I was like, you guys will just hate everything. I was like, fuck it. That's it. I just, I give up. And at that point, I went full, full heel. Like, bring on all the flippy shit. Like, I want to see the the crazy Will Ospreay stuff from him and, uh, damn, it was him and Ricochet a couple years ago. where That was clearly scripted. I don't care. Like that, this spot was actually super dope because it was a bunch of reversals. Like it wasn't just for the sake of doing flippy shit. It made sense within the match. And again, people judge stuff in such a small box. So they see the gif and they're like, oh, well, it's like, okay, did you watch the match? Did you see Haramu hitting him with crazy German suplexes before then? And then teasing it to a German on the ramp. Like, there were so many little things. If For a second, I thought he was going to land the German and crack Will Ospreay's whole shit against the apron. So when he went, or the belly-to-belly, I meant. Yeah. I thought Will was going to take the belly-to-belly and flip into the apron, which would have been crazy. And then he went through the ropes. And I was like, oh, what the fuck is going on here? Boom, and I get my payoff. So people don't understand unless they watch the entire match. And there was so much more than flippy shit. It was a great 25 minutes. Yeah, it was just that like thinking about that sequence it gives me chills because it's just like man it's like I know like people's like oh this doesn't look fake like listen guys we know that wrestling is scripted like stupid people say this stuff you know wrestling's fake right no shit dumbass like I didn't ask you I know movies are fake too but I enjoy that shit but when you see a sequence like that it's kind of like floor exercises and gymnastics when you're watching them and it's like the margin of error is so small because you know you're going to crack your head if you can't finish that flip and you got two guys doing violent ballet and you know you got a guy throwing a guy through the middle ropes like osprey is like 510 i think something like that and the the mark like the space between those ropes is tiny like if his foot got caught in that rope that could have been terrible or if he flipped the wrong way but no he landed it clean goes through the ropes and then does another toe pace it's just that matches it's it set a standard like all right cool like 2020 this is what you're going to be chasing again because it feels like Osprey is about to have another crazy year. Oh, definitely. And I'm writing this down as we speak because I think you just gave me a great merch idea with Violent Ballet. I, oh. I feel like we can make a, a really good shirt with that. All right. It is in the notes. <laughs> so if you guys see a merch, a shirt at uh, Wrestling With Stereotypes, a Violent Ballet shirt, you know where it came from. <laughs> the old man threw out a gem right there. Uh, the co-main event after that, Naito versus Jay White. This is where we start getting into the Intercontinental Championship, Heavyweight Championship, and setting up night two. Naito comes out, and to me, this was a very different match than both the Will Ospreay match and the main event. 
Naito in that knee injury played a huge factor. Jay White, since Naito was injured, was really able to play up the heel role during this match. Uh, they had several shenanigans. Miguel trying to get involved. The ref took bumps left and right. The ref was selling his ass off, by the way. Can we get a <laughs> clap for the ref? Like, I was watching this. I was like, yo, ref. Like, the ref went to the dojo and prepared for this match for like six weeks. Because he was taking one hell of a bump. And then by the time, you know, just the finishers, they weren't overdone. But a good three finishers. And Jay White had them several times. Jay White's pulling out new moves. That you've never seen before. So it was just a total package. That when Naito finally won. It was like. Just an exhale moment. Like shit. Alright. He did it. Stuff is still set up. And. Talking about not being 100%. It gave you the feeling. He wasn't at 50. For night two. Yeah. And it was just an uphill battle. And I, I thought it was great. It, it was beautiful storytelling. Yeah. And this was a match that I didn't think. Um, was on the, the tier of the Osprey Takahashi match or the Okada Ibushi match, but I thought it set everything up very well for the following night, and it was an enjoyable match. I saw, there was some people like, "Yo, this match wasn't that good." And I'm like, "What? Like, this match was great storytelling. It wasn't what you just saw the match before, but it was a really good match." And Naito selling the hell of the leg injury, which is something. Listen, when guys sell injuries and in matches and it, you know it prevents them to do moves like the, like when he tried to do the ddt off the ropes and he missed the rope because his knee gave out on him or when he tried to do the yeah. destino and he couldn't nail it i enjoy that kind of storytelling on the flip side of that which we'll talk about with AEW, dustin rhodes it was selling a knee injury in the first half of that tag match against the lucha bros and then he just was like fuck it my leg is fine midway through the match and it took me so much out of the match i was like yo they were working this leg and they completely abandoned it and i was like this i can't i can't do matches like that that's frustrating to me like make me a believer like this this injury is tough to deal with and naito is working through the injury and he's trying to get feeling back in his legs and he's hobbling when he does a big move and then he'll have an adrenaline spot and then he'll go back down the canvas grabbing his leg this is just great storytelling and i'll say it again jay white um i don't know if i can call him the most improved wrestler because I just wasn't a Jay White fan when he first showed up. Like, I love the character. I think I mentioned this when he first showed up. I was like, this Switchblade character is great. But I don't know if Jay mm -hmm. White's the guy to carry it and be, the like, the new leader of the Bullet Club. But fast forward now, after his title run, what he did in G1, and then what he did on this night, and then the following night against Ibushi, the guy's like, he's a gaijin. He's a heel, but he's learned how to fit that role and have really good matches. Jay White is not a, he's not bad. He's actually really good. Gato, Gato helped him a ton. Gato has helped him a ton. And I, I agree with that 100%. But I think they've leaned into this role like he's just a piece of shit. And he's going to cheat <laughs> every match. And I'm, I'm for that. Because he yeah. still has good matches. But he's like, yo, when it gets tough, here comes Gato. You know, he's, yep. he's, he's distracting the ref or doing something. And here comes White trying to do something. And I do enjoy this, the setup for the, uh, you know, for his finisher. I, I like the way he sets it up. Like, I just think... Jay White has kind of come into his own. He's never going to be Kenny Omega. And that's what a lot of us were like, dude, you can't take Kenny Omega's spot in the Bullet Club. But he's managed to figure out how to be Jay White. And I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. Yeah, I, I agree. The only thing I dislike about Jay White is the stupid facial hair. <laughs> he has the worst heel beard in the history of heel beards. How is your ha hair jet black 
and your beard is a rusty auburn. And then thin and patchy and it's it's so spiky. It's the worst. The worst heel beard ever. Yes. I, I I think at one point I said the main event was as good as Jay White's beard is bad. Hmm. That's it's like funny. the ultimate of SAT questions. That is how I felt about it. That beard is just fucking horrendous. It is a negative 10 star beard. Mm. That's how bad it is. Everything else, though, I like it. And you know what? Maybe the shitty beard makes him more just vile of a character to me. Maybe. So maybe it makes him a better heel. So I'm leaning in on it. Fuck it. The, the, the heel beard gets me worked up. Jay White is so good. I knew he was good, though, when... He might be a great guy in real life. Like, he might just be a nice guy. But I don't even look at him that way. I get lost in the moment sometimes and really think he's a piece of shit. <laughs> like, I forget that it's a gimmick. Like, it's just that natural now that he, I just think he's an asshole. And he's probably a great human being. But there's just something, the beard combo, the promos he cuts are just so asshole-ish now. He he found his niche. He, he really hit his groove. But now, I think it's going to be weird because some guys are such good heels. Like, everyone has to turn back and forth. I don't know how he plays a babyface. Like, what if they kicked him out of Bullet Club and now Kenta runs with the club and now he's out. Now he got to be a babyface. It's just, I, I don't know. It's like Seth Rollins to me. Seth is so dry as a babyface. As a heel, all right, we got some promise there. Jay White's still a better heel, I would think, overall. But I don't know. Seth Seth is a way better heel, I'll tell you that much. So with Jay White, I wonder if he falls into that trap. Maybe he's good at both. Who knows? Yeah, I'm, The kid yeah. is young. He's like 26, right? Like, something stupid. Yeah, like, we saw him in uh, in ROH, and he was a baby face. And, you know, it wasn't really much to it. Like, guys do a lot of their best work when they're heel. So... In the case of Jay White, like he's just become this really good heel character, and yeah. um, and it works. I don't know if they'll ever really turn a baby face, and maybe he'll just be a dick forever. So you know, we don't know. But I, which I'm is easy in Japan, because yeah, you can always just be a guy and you're fine. Yeah, it's like nobody likes Americans, straight up. So <laughs> exactly, <laughs> like so, nobody likes Americans. It's so easy. It's yeah, so such that, a good explanation. And he's he's Australian. He's not even American, but they're like, fuck it, no one likes Americans. Yeah, I guess maybe <laughs> no one likes white people. I don't know. It, we, yeah, we want to figure like, out what it is. But they, <laughs> they've leaned into that with Jay White, and you know, I'm a fan. I'm, I'm a fan of Jay White. <laughs> I just love that's the reason. No one likes Americans. Like, he's Australian. Fuck it. Who cares? No one likes Americans. Like, all right. Well, whatever. (laughs) Um, The main event, Okada versus Ibushi. Ah. There's points in matches. It it sounds weird. But Ibushi, I want to say Ibushi, Shawn Michaels, Kurt Henning. Yeah. Those three. There's point in their matches. And this is an incredible company for him. I mean, this is like the highest of honors. Um, where I don't care if they get any offense in at all. Midway through this match, I just want to see Okada beat the shit out of Bushi. Because he's so good at selling stuff. Yeah. Like, that's his talent. It looks like he dies on every lariat. On every suplex. He is so good at selling these moves that it is incredible. The back and forth hitting each other. All of that is so realistic. 
the guy wrestled a dummy. He was taking bumps from an inanimate object, and it looked like the object was literally going to kill him. He is just that good at what he does. I, one thing I said while I was watching it, it was like, I don't know if Kota Ibushi is the best wrestler in the world, but he is the most natural wrestler in the world. Everything he does is easy. There's nothing difficult in the ring for Kota Ibushi. That German suplex off the middle rope, like, you know, just deadlifting your opponent, that still amazes me every time he hits it. That shit just looks incredible, and he does it with ease. He is just naturally flawless as a wrestler. He is my wrestling version of Kendrick Lamar, where he's just... I don't know if he's the best rapper ever or the best rapper right now, but that shit's just easy for him. Everything, he's just playing a game. He was built for this, and that's how I feel about Kota Ibushi. Yeah, this match, I mean, listen, it kind of went back. Like, watching this match, there's two things I was thinking. One, it kind of furthers my claim, like, Okada's one of the best big match wrestlers we've ever seen. This guy, like, he knows when to turn heel, which he kind of does in night two. He knows when to turn it up. He's got a move set that, you know, we know. Like, we know the Rainmaker. He's got different variations of it. This man made a clothesline and a dropkick fucking entertaining. Okada's an amazing talent. Kota Ibushi, here's the thing. Because, obviously, you know, Okada goes over on Ibushi in a hell of a match. I think there's a spot where, like, Ibushi, like, falls on his head trying to do a Pele kick. And just kind of pops back up and gets right back into it. It's like, I'm watching these two go. And I saw some people say... Ah, Obushi lost. He's the jobber. Now we talked about this last week. There was <laughs> there was a story to tell with Naito and Okada that he needed to finish up from two years ago. So people that were upset about Kota Ibushi losing, you missed the big picture here. I'd have been upset if Kota Ibushi lost and then Okada beat Naito. Now that, that would have been a different story, which we'll talk about in a minute. But they were working towards something. There's also, I think, there's something in play with Kota Ibushi, uh, based on this match. Based on Killer Ibushi, the murderer, which we, we're starting to see more and more of his matches go on, where he just goes into this dark zone where he's like, he has a gaze that just looks like he's going to kill you. And I think we're going to see more and more of that. But I, I've i said this before, you got to kind of trust Gato's booking. It wasn't Ibushi's time. This was really about, this was Naito's show. Ibushi's time is coming. And when it comes, I think he's going to be the wrestler of the year. Because... Like you said, everything he does is so easy and flawless, and he's built. He's a wrestler's wrestler, and then some. Great storyteller, fantastic athlete. He does everything right. The facial, like I keep going back to these facial expressions. When the man's eyes go dead, you know it's fucking trouble, and they just start killing each other. And he does this again. He does this with Jay White. There's a sequence in the Jay White match. There's a gif of it somewhere where he is like he smirks before he crushes him, and it's like yo, completely gets it. It's not, it wasn't his time. This wasn't, Wrestle Kingdom wasn't about Kota Ibushi. But we're setting pieces in motion for when it's going to be Kota's time, which may be next year or the year after, he's going to be the best wrestler in the world. And everybody's going to want to watch Kota Ibushi. And it'll be well-earned. This wasn't it. This wasn't that moment. Him losing was fine. People said he was a jobber. And I'm like, nah, man, he's not a jobber. He won G1. Who the fuck wins G1 as a, as a jobber? <laughs> the only, that was my argument off like, rip. Like, he won G1. The only new, like, if you've watched enough New Japan, like I have, 
the only New Japan guy who never fulfilled the prophecy of being great and was close was Hiroki Goto. Goto won G1, seemed like he was on the cusp with great things, and now he's been middling, he's like the 30,000-time never open weight champion. Like, he wins that shit every goddamn Wrestle Kingdom. That's who Goto has become, and everybody thought for a hot second he was going to be the next big thing. Obushi's not that. Obushi just signed his long-term deal, so they don't have to put the title on him immediately. He'll be here for a while. And there's unfinished business with Naito. I'm sure now there's unfinished business with Kodo, uh, with uh, Okada. The man's going to get his. And yeah, there's going to be people say, well, what about when he wrestled Nakamura in the five-star match? He's overdue. Naito, Naito was overdue. If anybody was overdue for his moment, it was Tetsuo Naito. Not yeah. Kodo Ibushi. But this was... Well, Ibushi wasn't even exclusive, right? Like, no. he wasn't exclusive during that match. So they weren't going to put you know, the rocket on his back when he can go wherever he wants. Right. So it's, it's you know, you got you to gotta let things play out. And a lot of people want instant gratification. Sometimes, in the case of a lot of wrestlers, uh, they put the title on them too soon, the Fiend. And once you have the title, it's like, well, now what? Like, Kazushka Akata, what he's done better than most is he's been a big match wrestler as the champion for like over a half of a decade and you still like you want to see who he's wrestling next but he's carried that title well and it's hard for a lot of guys to be champion once you reach your peak then some guys you get bored like Seth Rollins is a perfect example as soon as he won the title was like all right now what and I'm not saying he's not championship material but it just doesn't feel like you don't get that feeling now that these guys it's like all right well and John Cena was like championship material the guy was champion. You were like, I'm fine with this. Even when you weren't. But you got it. Ibushi will get his moment. Just chill out. But this match, that was fantastic. Incredible. And then uh, going over to night two, we had uh, Juice and Thunder Liger. His farewell retirement match, which was cool. Haramu uh, Takahashi it was kind of like their story. And again, like a passing of the baton. So I thought that had a really good, really good story to it. Um, Rapungi 3K won the tag titles. Yeah, the junior heavyweight titles. Yeah. Junior heavyweight titles. Uh, El Phantasmo is so good. I I was like, yo, they got to come up off of these titles because he needs his own run this year in Super Juniors. You know, here's my thing about El Phantasmo. There's people that really don't like him. And I think... It's because of the way because he looks like an asshole. Yeah, and I and I think that's I think that's what he wants. Like his style lends itself to being a complete jerk, and so when he wrestles and you're like, ah, I don't like him, but you can't front like the athleticism is ridiculous. When he walks the corners on the ropes, like I, it's akin to when Phoenix does that walking kick on the top rope, but he does it to all four, and he never misses. He never just like slips and falls off. But then he's just when he goes into like the mode where he's just crushing it. You know, you're still annoyed with him because he's a jerk. Like, he smirks in between his moves. He laughs. He pouts. He cheats. He does everything right. And <laughs> uh, showing yo, I mean, they were great in this match. Uh, it, I mean, uh, this was a good match. They are in a interesting predicament with the junior heavyweights and the heavyweight tag divisions because they don't have a lot of guys to help. Like, there was a time when the Young Bucks and Red Dragon and like War Machine, when they were in the tag team divisions in New Japan, it was ridiculous. Now I feel like it's, they're trying to fill vacancies, like like parent singles wrestlers together to make this stuff. Like showing you are a tag team, 
and it feels like it's inevitable for them to have a singles run, but they can't have one until they find another tag team to take their place. Yeah. So they're kind of stuck. Well, they, they've always made it a point to, you know, when you break in, you're in a tag team. Like, I think Balor was in a tag team when he first broke in for like two years before he got his run. And a lot of these guys, like, you come in, you're introduced to the tag team show, and yo, introduce to the tag team, eventually they'll go their own ways. Uh, Evo and Sonata, building their own characters now, right? But introduced straight out dojo as a tag team. So that's usually their bread and butter. We haven't seen new guys promoted, even though they had one on the undercard uh, or the untele. It was televised, but I guess it was a pre-show uh, to this, and they had like four. It was a uh, LA dojo versus Japanese dojo. Yeah. yeah. So that was cool. You get to see some of the up-and-coming guys. There was an American guy from the LA dojo that had a ton of charisma. So uh, interesting in seeing what he does as you know the year goes on. So there's some people coming, but again, a lot of those tag teams you mentioned were guys from ROH, from the States, you know, looking to go over there and work. They were kind of funneling in legit tag teams who have been together forever. With NXT now and AEW and ROH struggling, you know, Impact is really picking up. They don't, they aren't getting those guys anymore. No. Not, but you got to figure something out if you're gonna have the. If you're gonna have a tag division, you need to find some people. Or you got to condense to one tag division. Well, that part too. But they've been, they've always been adamant about this junior heavyweight division. I mean, dude, they had like the they've always splitters. Been. Like they've, they've had so many great tag teams that this is the first time in a long time where both tag divisions are kind of like, eh, because AEW has all the tag teams, and it's like, all right, well, New Japan, you got to figure something out, because yeah. Gorillas of Destiny, they're your tag team. Showing yo, they're your tag team. But you can only see Gorillas of Destiny versus Evil and Sonata so many times where you're like, all right, cool, can we move on? And same with Showing Yo against like El Desperado and Taichi. Like, like there's only so many combinations that you can see them face until you find another legitimate tag team. So this match was cool. Uh, we got the we got the end that I expected with them being the, the junior heavyweight tag t- champs again. But I'm just curious, like, what do you do next with them? That's all. Yeah, I mean, you honestly, honestly, you just gotta hope ROH folds. <laughs> you just get their talent. Like, you just need the Briscoes full time, or you know, just guys like that, and hope that AEW doesn't snatch everyone up, or maybe get an actual working partnership with AEW. No. So you can have the Lucha Bros versus Gorillas of Destiny. Yeah, I'm sure they'll figure something out. This is, and this, this is just a minor. Quibble. It's not like yeah, yeah, minors. They're not even yeah. The matches are still good. It's just very repetitive because there's like three tag teams. Exactly. Um, but NXT is going through the same thing right now too. There's like three tag teams. This Dusty Rhodes tournament. There's like three real tag teams in this shit, and two are the, two of them are imported from the UK. Yeah, and they're already out. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> just that quick. So, uh, yeah, it's, you know, slim pickings. AEW kind of just snatched up a ton of great tag teams. Um, young ones, too, like Private Party, shit like that. Those are guys they used to get. Yeah. And then now there's two 20, uh, 23 and a 24-year-old in AEW learning the ropes over there. So, you know, it's, it's going to be a building process, but we'll see how it goes. Uh, getting into the meat of night two, Goto versus Kenta. Yo, those people that didn't like this match, I love this match. Because I thought it was good. I, I didn't love it, but I thought it was good. 
I mean, it's not a fucking five star match, but it was, it was for me, it was the Kenta match that we kind of needed, because now that we know that Shibata is probably never going to wrestle again, he never could get cleared, so he had to go in this this match with Goto for the never open weight title, and we know those of you who watch Goto knows when Goto gets in these matches, he brings it, like they lay into each other. I was concerned. I was like, is Kenta, you know, is he gonna do? Is he's gonna like lay into these strikes and? You know, these two just beat the shit out of each other. And I, about a third of the way through the match, I was like, yo, they're, really, they're just about to beat the hell out of each other. Kenta needs that. He needed that match. Yeah. He needed a match where he could prove that he was like, I'm going to be physical. Because he's smaller, he's older. But I enjoyed this. I thought this was a great way to set up Kenta for what happens at the end. Because he had to drop the title. But he dropped the title in like a, a very physical... It's, it's a match that kind of solidifies what the never open weight title has always been. Two guys just beating the piss out of each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, Ishii holding that title a ton kind of lends to that. But, yeah, even the other guys who hold it, that's, that's kind of the MO behind it. And you're completely right. It gave Ken to that level of physicality that I feel like he's been missing for a while. Even his run through, like, G1 and stuff was lackluster. Um, this might be his best New Japan match. I think so. I think I, so. I think it is. Like I, I felt like okay, he's hitting another gear. It, I didn't know if he had that gear anymore. Yeah. Just off of maybe the injuries robbed him. You know, maybe the self confidence was gone after just a shitty run through NXT. But I, I feel like he started getting comfortable again, and he started uh, you know getting that swag back. So we had that match. Then we had. Jay White versus Kota Ibushi. And this is where I think the Kota Ibushi is a jobber talks built up. Because Jay White and Gato cheated throughout this whole shit. And it led to Kota losing. Like you thought after he thwarted the cheating attempts like twice. Like Kota's a shoe and he's going to win. And he hulked up at one point and just started beating the shit out of Jay White. But then at the end it was like nope. We're snatching this back. And... You know what? Jay White needed this win more than Kota Ibushi. There it that's is. That's just the truth. There, that's exactly what I was going to say. People that say Kota Ibushi, I was like, listen, Jay White, Bullet Club lost all week. <laughs> they, they just kept <laughs> all losing. All weekend. <laughs> so at a certain point, they had to win a match. And it wasn't like Jay White won clean, so it didn't put a blemish on Ibushi, really. It's, it's Jay White had to cheat to win. And he had to cheat hard because Ibushi, when he <laughs> went to that dark place and... Uh, the only whack part of the match is when he heart punched Gato and Gato like sold it like he got murdered and he didn't really hit him that hard. <laughs> but other than that, like there were there were spots in the match where just Kota would just go into that dark place and he was just beating the hell out of Jay White. But then he loses and people are like, Oh, he's a job. It's like, no, I think it's it's fine. Jay White needs this win. Like if you want Bullet Club to be a faction that people care about, somebody's gotta win a match. And if you can't beat Kota Ibushi in the biggest match, I, like, I don't know who you establish outside of that. Kenta lost. Grizz Destiny lost. Um, everybody lost. Everybody in the Bullet Club lost. So they had to pick up a win here. And they, by any means necessary, against one of the scariest guys in pro wrestling right now. Because, again, when Kota Ibushi goes to that dark place, he's hard to beat. So they had to pull out every trick in the book to do it. Not mad at this. If Jay White lost, everybody would be talking about who gives a shit about the Bullet Club. Because that's what would have happened. Who cares? They lost every match. But now they won, so at least they have something to hang on to. Yeah, and I think, again, long-term booking and making plans. Everyone else loses. Jay White's the only one that wins. How long until he's like, you know what? I don't need you guys. 
how long it takes. Like, I kind of, I'm my own person. You know, there's these little seeds of dissension that could be used going forward. So I, I like all that. Like, I thought, again, the win gives Jay White a lot more possibilities than it gives Kota Ibushi. Kota would be fine. Kota can come out when G1 again next year and be like, oh, I'm happy as fuck. Like, perfect. Like, he's so over that none of these losses are going to affect him. No, not at all. I th- Again, I think he's fine. I think he's fine. And I think this match proved it again because he just had a, what, what a lot of people would say was a five-star match with Okada the night before. And then he had a fantastic match with Jay White, which the other side of it is Jay White got his win back because he lost to Kota Ibushi in the G1 Finals. Yep. So there's there's still st- storytelling, and their story's not over. I don't think. I think we're gonna see these two go at it again. So everything was fine about this match. If this match was whack. That we'd have something else to discuss. But they were again. You gotta kind of trust the Gato vision, and it's it's worked. This match was great. Yeah, it wasn't like the it match was. of the night. The next match was a match of the night, but this was great. The next match was not match of the night. Oh wait, what the is the next, next match? The next match was my most disappointing match. Oh, never week. mind. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the next match is Chris Jericho versus Tanahashi. Two things, there's two reasons why I was most disappointed. I'm not going to just shit all over Tanahashi and say it's like a horrible match. But it was disappointing for me. One Jericho looks about 80 years old. Let's just call a spade a spade. He flexed at one point, and he had zero muscle definition. I'm just like, I, I don't I don't like the paint. I don't like his character in Japan. The pain maker, like, that shit is stupid to me. I don't like it. Two, and this was my, my biggest thing, the placement of this match. You placed it after J.Y. Kota Ibushi. You placed it after... Kenta and Goto, like, those are matches that actually mean something. So I'm now thinking this has some actual stakes. Okay, AEW World Championship is here. Cool. Maybe this is going to give us some insight into that. Nope. This match literally progressed nothing. Furthered no storyline and wasn't very good. Mostly due to Chris Jericho. See, I didn't, I didn't hate the match. I enjoyed it as a as a match where you had I mean this is kind of like Jericho doing his bucket list now facing everybody in New Japan at least once and um but there there are limitations to Chris Jericho now. Chris Jericho is not Y2J. He's not the, the Lionheart. Um he's the older version of Chris Jericho, which I mean, strangely enough works perfectly fine in AEW. Like the inner circle Jericho. Oh, because it's promo cool. based. Because yeah. he carries it with promos in AEW. You can't do that shit in New Japan. Or yeah. he tries. And he, but and it, he, I don't like the character. He's had some matches with guys like Cody, uh, with Adam Page, uh, with Kenny Omega. And outside of Omega, it's like. I don't want to say he's like wrestling to his capacity on AEW, but it's like New Japan is like a different scale. And even the match with Kenny Omega, they had to add that stipulation because straight up wrestling, Kenny might have drowned Chris Jericho that night at Wrestle Kingdom. But when they threw the rule book out and Jericho could just do other shit, it kind of hid his age and his flaws and stuff like that. This being a straight up wrestling match, because Tanahashi could still go, clearly. Like, he go-go. 
So Tanahashi had to take it down a notch to wrestle on Chris Jericho's level. Like Jericho was trying to do, you know, the lion salt, and you know, I still love the the walls of Jericho to the lion tamer. Like, I still love that transition. But when you watch uh, Tanahashi, you think, okay, kind of, it's like a rapper dumbing himself down to be on a guest spot with a, another performer, so he doesn't just completely blow him out the water. And I felt like that's what Tanahashi <laughs> was doing. I didn't hate it. The, the the placement was a little questionable because it was kind of your letdown match before the main event. Um, the stakes, I like the, the fact that they introduced those stakes because it did make the match intriguing because you're try, trying to figure out where they're going with this. Um, but yeah, it's, it's Jericho just, he can't go balls of the wall New Japan style like some of these other guys can. He's, he's older. He just can't do it. I still enjoy Chris Jericho. I still think he's staked his claim as one of the greatest wrestlers of all time because of longevity. But when you put him in this kind of a situation against a guy who was old as well, but still a million bucks in the ring, you know, the limitations show. And this was like, this was a good match. It just wasn't, it, it, I can see where you say it was disappointing. Yeah, it, it wasn't a bad match. I'm not trying to say that. It was just, yeah, it was, it was a letdown due to the placement. Now, if it was there and Tanahashi wins, and that means we're getting a rematch in AEW for the title, cool. I understand the placement now. Now it all makes sense. The way it played out, I thought the ending fell flat, lackluster. It just it, it didn't live up to what it could have been. So I was like, all right, whatever. Time for the main event. And main event didn't have to go 50 minutes. It didn't have to go 60. It didn't have to be like years past. Because, again, both of these guys just gave it their all the night before. And this was the fastest 35 minutes I've seen a match go in a long time. I blinked and I was like, yo, is that? I thought it was 14-minute match. Man. Listen, at 35-37. It was so good. And the storytelling was so good. And it was, again... To harp on the storytelling, these guys weren't 100%. You weren't going to get the spots that you got the night before. And I was okay with that. And they had unfinished business. It teased back to that match two years ago. Naito's knee was still messed up. So many things had to be overcome for him to win. And then he wins. And we'll talk about what happens after that. But, man, it's been this buildup and it's overdue. And he finally gets his moment. And he doesn't even get to enjoy it. And I love that part of it, too. Yeah, so one thing. I think I I think I think called this maybe in November. I was like, yo, I think it's Naito's time. Remember I said that when going into Wrestle Kingdom? Yeah. I was like, nah, yep. I think it's Naito's time. Because, because he had lost G1. I had given up. I had thrown the fucking papers in the air. I was irate. <laughs> and I was like, there's no... There's no inroads for him to really do anything. And then, lo and behold, there was. Yeah, so I'm watching this match, and I'm the... Okay, first of all, what I didn't talk about was Okada's entrance the night before was unbelievable. <laughs> yo, with the glow-in-the-dark <laughs> robe and the, the little laser... Yo, that joint was dope. But it's like, when Naito came out with that uh, with the saying, all or nothing, I was like, yo, we're about to go there. And I felt comfortable. I was like, he can't lose this match can't but me saying that in my head versus what was translating on television there were a couple neo frauds when uh when okada hit the rainmaker clean i was like yo it's over they got me on <laughs> near falls a few times in this match and you know somebody said naito looked like he lost a step the night before no i think he played the injury role up because 
this match was it was great. And New Japan, Tokyo Dome, and just Jap- Japanese fans in general, they're a relatively quiet bunch as the match goes along. The peak that this match hit between the Tanahashi, the Takahashi win and this the final stretch of this Naito Okada match, I've never heard the Tokyo Dome that crazy. They were going nuts. Absolutely nuts over these two. And it was a million bucks. And Okada, he recognized very early that this was a Naito crowd tonight. So he played the heel role. He was an asshole. There were certain parts of his match where he was doing the, like, <laughs> the, hit the discus rainmaker. Then he hit a couple clotheslines and kept the wrist control. And he kind of looked out in the crowd and smirked. I was like, dude, Okada, he just gets it. He gets where he's supposed to be. Because, yeah, he's a babyface. People love him. But everybody wanted Naito to win on this night. I mean, this match, for me, it was just a five-star match on a different level. It wasn't like the, it wasn't like the, uh, it wasn't like the Osprey Shingo match where it was like there's feats of athleticism that are just ridiculous. The, the Osprey Taka, uh, Takahashi match. This was just like phenomenal storytelling from two guys that the crowd was like ultra hot for, and it felt like every move during the final stretch felt like it meant something. Like, everything. And then I said this right before the match happened. Naito lost to Okada two years ago because he got too greedy. Because he went for the Stardust Press, which was his old finisher when he won G1 and lost to Okada like six years, four years before that. And he yeah, went for it. I didn't even know he still had that move in the repertoire. Yeah, that was his old babyface finisher. Because if anybody yep. remembers, Naito was a babyface that people did like. He was almost Rocky Maivia-esque. And the fact that people just wasn't buying this babyface Naito. And then he went to Los Incogrenables and he became this I don't give a shit Naito. And then people fell in love with him. But at that Wrestle Kingdom, he got greedy. He was like, all right, I need to finish Okada off. So I'm going to go back to the well and hit him with the Stardust Press. He missed it. Ate a Rainmaker. Lost the match. Here, oh, another key note. Kevin Kelly is probably the most underrated commentator in pro wrestling today. Oh, he, he is, did so well with that. He is excellent. The way he delivers Destino is up there with JR's like, by God, he broke him in half. It's just it's just so passionate and so good. And there were moments. And, first, and Corey Graves' Kinshasa. Yes. Which yes. is an incredible call. <laughs> but, dude, the way that, that Kevin Kelly was calling this match down the stretch. And I ate this up. And usually, for me, there was a time like before they got U.S. commentary. This tells you how long I've been watching New Japan. I enjoy the Japanese commentary because you feel it. Like, those dudes are hype. This I didn't mind because Kevin Kelly was so good and, and Rocky, like everybody on commentary was really good, but Kevin Kelly took this to another level, especially when Okada kicked out of that one Destino and Kevin, they're doing the count and Kevin Kelly's like, Destino! And he's like, oh my God, what the hell? He's like, he loses it. <laughs> like he's caught into the moment as a commentator who clearly doesn't know the finish of this match. And those are the best commentators. I talked to Jim Ross years ago. He was like, I used to hate if they ever told me the finish, because then I can't give you my emotions like I would when I didn't know. Kevin Kelly played this like he didn't know what was going to happen. And, dude, the final stretch of this match was just ultra hot. And when he finally hit that last Destino and that crowd popped, I smiled. I'm, like, I'm sitting in my, my house at, like, whatever time it was, 3 in the morning, right? I thought I wasn't going to make it through Wrestle Kingdom that night because I was tired. I was wide awake. And I was like, I can't go to sleep after this. This is legit. Oh, and what we didn't talk about, I'm sorry, because we do have to talk about this. Um, we didn't talk about Moxley beating Juice Robinson because the match was like, whatever. But the Minoru Suzuki show up to challenge Moxley, I lost my shit. 
<laughs> the the match was like eh, but it the pop at that point I even had to go all right fuck it throw throw all the rules out the window you want to see a death match this is the only when Moxie got to New Japan and I lost a bet so I was just distraught this is what kept me going man I was like you know what the hell with it I get to see him versus Suzuki they're gonna beat the shit out of each other. Uh, and then we, we also got the Kaza Ninare. We got it like because we didn't have that all weekend because even the Suzuki Goon tag match, I think they played Zack Saber's music. Um, we didn't talk about Zack Saber and Sonata, which I thought was a phenomenal technical match. And I think it says a lot about where Sonata might be heading soon because he's really good. Um, but back to this this main event was excellent, and then we'll talk about it. Kenta interrupting at the end. Some people are like, Why Kenta? I love this. Because I didn't oh, see I it coming. It. I did not see it coming. And the folded legs sitting on his face holding the belt and not giving Naito his moment. Pfft. I don't Some people didn't like it. I don't know. I did. I enjoyed the shit out of that. Oh, I did too. I mean, if you're not going to pull the trigger with Kenta now, then when? Nah, he needs his big right? match. Right? Like, yeah, he, he needs his big match. You've been waiting all this time. Again, he's a, a legend over there a legend with a history of injuries a legend who may or may not have lost a step but his character work seems top notch it seems like if you learned anything from nxt his character work has gotten pretty damn good yeah yeah i mean i think we can all agree that his nxt run sucked and that's partially because of injuries and maybe they just didn't figure out how to book him but whatever he took away from nxt and he brought here on this night as a character was excellent Oh, yeah. So, just his attack and then just crossing the legs with the both belts on top of Naito. That that photo is going to be amazing. I haven't seen it anywhere yet. Wherever they publish that shit, that's going to run for years. Him holding up both belts and just sitting cross-legged, just smirking over Naito and just ruining his night. The night he worked so long for and saying, the hell with this. Loved it. Like the first time Naito cared about a belt in like 10 years, by the way. Because he used to just throw that shit everywhere. His disrespect of belts is one of my favorite parts of his character. So for the first time, he actually shows like, I wanted this belt. I worked for it. I love this belt. And boom, someone takes it away from him. Perfectly done. Yeah, so we've talked about Wrestle Kingdom long enough. But I do want to touch on one thing before we talk about Raw and, and AEW and, and everything else. So there was a tweet like... Dave Meltzer posted on Twitter that Okada is one step ahead of Flair, The Rock, and Shawn Michaels. And some people were like, this is blasphemous as soon as they saw it. And at first, initially, I said, this is ridiculous. This is a high thing. Then I started to think about it. Kazuki Okada, what he's accomplished, there's a conversation to be had. I'm not saying I agree with it. I'm not saying he's ahead of Shawn Michaels. I'm not saying he's ahead of The Rock, I'm not saying he's ahead of Flair. Because it's interesting because the tweet itself that was screenshot was, you know, Meltzer saying that. But immediately, the one thing I said was like, he never said he was better than Bret Hart. So I feel like it was a very specific thing. <laughs> like, I think it was a very specific but Flair, thing. Flair was his five-star guy until Okada came along. Like, Flair is was the top of the top. Like, he... Champions Flair Steamboat to no end because it was like that was his holy grail before Okada Omega came along. So it makes me wonder if Meltzer is talking about one of the greatest of all time, period, 
or a big match wrestler. So I, I wasn't exactly sure where he was going with it. But I, I maybe at this point in time, maybe at 31 years old, maybe he's on pace. Maybe, yeah, like maybe he's ahead of these guys. So I started looking at this. And I started thinking, like, man, Okada's been doing this shit for a little over half a decade, and he's main evented six out of the last eight Wrestle Kingdoms, and every time he's main evented, he's come away with damn near a five star match every single time. Now that, this doesn't exclude what he does at G1. This doesn't include the match that I loved against Shibata. In Shibata's last match. This doesn't include his matches with Suzuki. Doesn't include his um, uh, Kings of Pro Wrestling. Uh, dude, who else? He's wrestled so many people. The Kenny Omega 4 match wasn't even at Wrestle Kingdom. No, nah, that was on... Was it Dominion? Dominion, I believe. Yeah, it doesn't include any of that. So, when we talk about Okada's place in wrestling history, it's kind of hard to do because he's still doing it. And this, this is kind of like what I said about Kendrick Lamar. It's, like, it's kind of hard to place a guy who hasn't had the opportunity to fall off yet. But all you can kind of talk about is that current run that they're on at the moment. And at the moment, I think you can say, yo, he's on pace to be one of these, the greatest of all time. One of. You know, I think he, he needs to be in that conversation. Because what he's done is just, he just never fails you. He's been, because again... Guys who are able to be champion and hold on to the title and still deliver excellent matches are very far and few in between. He continues to do it with different guys. He doesn't do it with the same guy. If you look at Flair, um, and it's weird, as a sidebar, when people talk about Flair, I always wonder, it's like, well, how many of y'all really watch Flair in like WCW or the NWA? And when Flair was feuding with Dusty Rhodes. And when Flair was feuding with Terry Funk, which is one of my favorite feuds that a lot of people really haven't seen. We talk about Flair Steamboat, and yeah, you can find it in the archives, but how many of y'all really watched Flair and the work that he put in? I don't think enough people, when they talk about Flair, have really seen Flair. Now, they see maybe the promos from that time, but not the matches. Yeah, so I like... That makes sense. Like, the promos lived on during that time and made Flair legend. And then they saw him WWE return to WCW time um, but the matches kind of get lost in those amazing promos because the reality is with Flair his greatest moments were never in a WWE ring never nope. except for maybe the Savage match which should have been Hogan area WrestleMania 7 except for the oh and Sa- the greatest Royal Rumble ever yeah but aside from that his greatest feuds to me were Steamboat by far Dusty Rhodes Terry Funk Sting even when he feuded with Lex Luger, as a kid, as a kid, I was invested because I hated Ric Flair. But I thought the Horseman was so cool. I was like, how could I hate this guy and love him at the same time? He exuded big match qualities. The Rock may not be on the technical level of any of those guys. But when it comes to a big match, The Rock delivered. Because he was just a charismatic son of a bitch. And yes, we all hate Hulk Hogan now. But that WrestleMania match with Hogan? Unbelievable. Unbelievable <laughs> electricity. Because he knew what to do. Okada's a guy who has figured out when it's time to turn in the big match, there is no cruise control. He kills it. I it's fa- I think it's fair to have that kind of... It's not as blasphemous as people make it out to be. New Japan wouldn't no. be where it is with the global expansion really without Okada. They couldn't do it without him. There's, they've had Nakamura, but Nakamura was never the champ. That Tanahashi. Tanahashi was the champ, but Okada had to take the title off him. When they went to global expansion, they kind of did it off the back of Okada because I don't even think they knew what Kenny Omega was about to be. 
They just had a guy. This was all in the back yeah. of Kazusuke Okada. I think you got to give the man his flowers while he can smell him. He's that good. No, I agree. Um, and the biggest thing for him, which is like super cool, is that his biggest, I guess, failure, if you want to call it that, at TNA run, is what created who he is now. Definitely. Because he learned that he needed the gimmick. He needed more than just in-ring. He learned the the importance of how the crowd reacts. He was there to see the height of AJ Styles versus Samoa Joe versus, you know, what, Perk Angle. Like, all the... He, he was there and he's seeing these things. And he took that back and created who he is now. He's amazing. To me... Yeah, that, that loss is like Canelo's loss to Mayweather. It... Him going to TNA and taking that L changed his entire career. It was the best L he ever took. I mean, because he came back and he is who he is. It was like, and this says a lot about when promotions mismanage talent. Because you got to remember, like, WCW had Stone Cold, well, they had Stunning Steve Austin. And WCW had Mean Mark Callis before he became The Undertaker. TNA had Okada. They just didn't know what to do with him. TNA had CM Punk for a hot second. TNA had Generation Me, which later became the Young Bucks. Like, you got to be in the right situation to flourish. But when Okada showed up in New Japan and donned that Rainmaker gimmick with the robe and the money, like, and then if you look at some of his early entrances where he had, like, the dragon, come on, man. Yeah. The guy's next level. He's he's a Japanese flair. It's like he went to TNA, saw flair was there, you know, when they were trying to parade Flair Hogan, all this shit. Probably sat down, had three or four conversations, left, and I was like, I can kind of just work with that character. Dude is really, he's hes really a spectacular talent. So when we talk about Okada, I think it's its fair to have a conversation like, man, this dude, he keeps his shit up. Yeah, we can have this conversation about where he stacks up with HBK and the rest of those guys, because he's carried a promotion on his back. May not be right yeah. now, but I think he, he's deserving. He's done it consistently. It's, to be in the convo is amazing in itself. Definitely. And he's deserving of that. Um, let's rain on your parade a little bit. Let's talk about Raw. <laughs> and how we're about good shit in New Japan and Wrestle Kingdom. Let's talk about Raw. Why is Lana and Lashley still a thing? Hey, I, I can't call it. Because of the ratings? Like, I feel like Vince thinks this is his fucking coup de grace. This is, this is his great victory. This It's bad. It's... It's bad. And it's like, it's funny because I hardly remember Raw. Like, I watched it on Monday and I was still thinking about Wrestle Kingdom. And I was like, this is hard to watch. And, yeah. you know. Owens and Samoa Joe had some good spots. Yeah, uh, the big show I reveal. I like the chemistry. The big show reveal. Oh, was the like, big. I popped for the big show. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. I popped for the big show. I don't need it every week, but they got me. I was not expecting that. His music just hits so hard, though. Yeah. Like, once you hear the, well, like, you gotta pop when you hear the, like, the match wasn't great, but you know you got to pop. I just the thought big show. like Big Show got way too much. It wasn't terrible, but they've they've invested so much in the Lana Bobby Lashley angle that I'm just like, this is stupid. And then the whole Rusev being on the beach thing was dumb. And I mean, I don't know, man. I think Andrade's been excellent. I just don't know how many the green screen beach. Yeah, the green screen beach. I think Andrade's <laughs> been excellent. I'm I don't need another Mysterio match though. Because they kind of hit the same same beats in every single match. And mm-hmm. I've seen it enough where I loved it the first time. I'm like, all right, this is still cool, but 
we kind of need to move on because Andrade is really good. So let's just give him some more work. Um, I think uh, the Viking oh, Raiders uh, are the one of the most boring tag team champions I've ever seen because they keep crushing yeah. people, and I just don't care. Yeah, they don't let them have any mic time. They really don't explain the story behind why they're Vikings. <laughs> that would go that go very far, right? Like, are they here to, you know, I don't know, pillage? Is that what Vikings do? They're here to pillage? Just give me something. Give me some background to why you guys are who you are. Because if not, then we can really just get the belts up off you. Again, good matches on week to week, eh. But pay-per-view-wise, they can bring it, have good matches. But if you're not going to expand on the characters, you just said, hey, these guys are Vikings. Changed their name three times, settled on Viking Raiders, and said, okay, they're going to be champs. Like, okay, why are they Vikings? And I get it. They're going to stay champs until they get to go to Tampa, and they're going to come in riding the boat or some shit. Or they're, <laughs> it's going to be a crazy... That's the only reason they're champions. Vince wants that entrance. That's it. So... I understand. I get it. But do you just mind explaining this? Is the, Paul Heyman, this is what he's supposed to do, right? They're too small for Vince to even care about. Vince doesn't give shit about tag teams anyway. At all. This should be Paul's pet project. Let's explain why you guys are Vikings. Why are you mad? Like, let's let's do something with this. Um, so, yeah, that's what makes them boring. But then we have uh, Aleister Black versus Buddy Murphy, which the feud just keeps on giving. Buddy Murphy wrecked him. I love how this feud is going. Buddy Murphy may never win a match inside the ring, but they're finding other ways to keep him strong outside of it during the feud. I don't need 50-50 booking all the time. This is how you keep interest in a feud when one guy is getting just trashed in the ring every week and losing all the damn time. I love it, Buddy Murphy. Uh, and then he hits the Aleister Black pose on the apron after he crushes him on the outside. I thought that was really well done. Yeah, it's. It, I think it was funny because I was like, "Oh shit, it's Shelton Benjamin, he's still here." Like he he was in the match, and I was like, "Oh my god, he's still employed by the company." Um, that was a pretty good match, though. Yeah, I mean, I've always liked Shelton Benjamin. I think he's one of the most underutilized talents in pro wrestling. Uh, he was Kofi before there was a Kofi because he was the guy who always had the spot in ladder matches and everything else. Just could never win the big one. But yeah, I think I think Raw is what it is. I like Seth Rollins in this in this heel role. I like him with the Authors of Pain. I think it's cool. Everything else, I'm just like, whatever. Um, I like Kevin Owens and Samoa Joe together for now to try to topple these guys. I just want to figure out where it's all leading to. Brock Lesnar being number one in the Royal Rumble leads to a lot of questions. One being, the man doesn't wrestle more than 15-minute matches. How long the hell? How long is he gonna last in this role at Rumble? Because I'm just gonna go on a limb and say Cain Velasquez shows up and beats him up. Because I can't think of anything else. No, oh, yeah, he's not gonna Iron Man this. He can't. Um, no, like, he physically can't. Not because I don't want him to. I just don't see Brock Lesnar. He just can't. lasting in a match <laughs> no, that long. They don't. He gets paid by the minute. Vince still got enough money to tell him to stay in there for an hour and twelve. Um. Yeah, Kane Velasquez is going to come out and wreck him. Kane probably comes out, what, four? You give four or five? You give Brock a couple people to really just crush, feel good about himself, and then Kane's music hits. I mean, he may stay longer than that, just for the sake Which of... people just, yeah, people don't even recognize Kane Velasquez's music. I don't even know if people And they're going to be like, oh, Rey Mysterio's son is coming out here. <laughs> Yo, they, get, they don't fucking know the difference. Ooh. Yeah, so, no, no one's going to pop for it. Like, I. 
Does, is Houston a hotbed for Cain Velasquez? You know what? Maybe. Maybe there's a ton of Mexican fans in Houston nah, that actually care about nobody Cain Velasquez. Really, I, nobody really cares about I don't Cain know. Velasquez. They, they've done nothing to I don't want to see him coming out. Yeah, I don't want to see him coming out in MMA gloves and not doing lucha shit. So, I don't know. I'm like, whatever on him. So, that's probably the way we're going. And Cain Velasquez is going to get a title shot at WrestleMania. It's going to be their marquee match. Like, as far as, like, you know, spectacle-wise. And Kane's going to beat Brock, and then what? I don't know. I don't think they've really thought Bobby this Bobby Lashley, maybe? No. Maybe Bobby Lashley comes out second, and Brock crushes Bobby no, Lashley. No, no. Just because that stare down. Okay, before we talk about AEW this week, because this is one of the, the final things we need to talk about, because the show's running longer than expected. I want to say two things about SmackDown. One, finally pairing the Usos with Roman Reigns is smart. I really actually like that. I think it's long overdue. Two... The John Morrison reveal was terrible. Why have John Morrison come back if he's just going to show up in Miz's locker room? They say, hey, it's John Morrison. And then he's just like, all right, cool. And he closes the door and that's it. Should have been something. They could have saved that for Royal Rumble's reveal or something. That was that was a waste of John Morrison. Oh, huge waste. That's all I got to say about SmackDown. Um, <laughs> that's it. That's all I got. No, that was, that was it. That was it for the whole SmackDown. Yeah. Uh, just debut him in the... Debut him in the Rumble. That, I mean, that's what they could have done. I would have cared then. I'd be like, oh, cool. The music comes out. He does this, the slow motion video answers. I'd have popped for that. But him just kind of exiting the Miz's locker, it was stupid. And then it's like they're trying to figure out how to turn Miz heel now because the Fiend's gotten in his head. I don't care. But I did, again, I did like the Usos and Roman Reigns being together because it feels natural that they should be working together. I don't know necessarily know about against like Baron Corbin and Dolph Ziggler, but whatever. I'll take what I can get. Um, so, yeah. Again, that's all I got about SmackDown. <laughs> there's, there's, not much there's not much else to touch on. Um, NXT was pretty good this week. Another solid show. NXT is NXT at this point. Good Fatal 4 way to end it. Great job by them for pushing Keith Lee. Definitely. Uh, they're doing right by him. They found a way to make him a monster but not a heel. It's weird. Odd dynamic. He's a monster baby face. You don't see that every day. No. Um, so that was that was really dope. On the flip side, AEW, in my opinion, is taking on water. They, they've shown signs of struggles over the past couple weeks. And yesterday was like the culmination of, no, there's some shit that really has to change. This was their worst show period um i still hold up hope for aw and i enjoy what they're attempting to do but this show was so disjointed and made so little sense i'm gonna go through just a brief synopsis of things that i really didn't like commentary brandy on commentary one is terrible (laughs) two the first match with hangman page and kenny omega against private party there's a spot in that match where Kenny Omega and Adam Page hit their their setup, their signature moves. Buckshot Lariat, V-Trigger on, I think, Mark Quinn. And JR just talks over it like nothing happened. That <laughs> blew my mind. Because it looked really cool. Because like Kenny hits him with the V-Trigger in the front and the Buckshot Lariat in the back. And I'm like, wow. JR didn't say He no-sold it like fucking Kota Ibushi. I was like, yo, big spot in the match. We got nothing out of it. And JR's had some difficulties on the mic in commentary. 
Not the worst thing, but it happens. The second thing about this match was, if you guys remember four weeks ago, Pac was, went to the, the locker room of Michael Nakazawa to taunt Kenny Omega. The door closed. Four weeks have passed. We have no idea what the fuck happened. We come to this this week. Once again, Pac is now choking out Nakazawa, which makes me say, well, has he been in the locker room with Nakazawa for four weeks? And now Kenny Omega's mad. I don't know what happened in the vacuum for the last four weeks and why they never addressed this, but they are clearly lacking continuancy in their storylines from week to week. And this is why you need a writer's room. Just somebody who can say, yeah, you did that last week. Can we follow that up this week? Don't book your own shit, guys. There's glaring holes. My other issue, you have heaters. Heaters are big guys who show up just to wreck shit. Jake Hager is a heater. Wardlow's a heater. The DDP angle where DDP cuts a, pro, a promo that sucked. I thought MJF tweeting during it was hilarious. But it was stupid because I'm so tired of seeing old men. I'm, I'll let you go off on the old men in AEW, Kel, because I don't need to. But <laughs> DDP gives a bunch of diet RKOs. Makes Blade and Butcher, who just showed up, look bad. You shouldn't have old talent going over on the new talent because you need to establish new guys. DDP is not going to be here for the long term. But Blade and Butcher look like complete idiots taking these diet RKOs. I know it's not the diamond cutter. It doesn't feel the same. Warlow stood there and did absolutely nothing. As a heater, you're supposed to do something. Warlow should have destroyed DDP. Because Warlow's not even in the, the six-man tag match next week at Bash of the Beach, which has really cool graphics, by the way. I loved how the, the graphics look for Bash of the Beach. But, dude, oh, yeah. this was pointless. And I just we're getting to a point now with AEW where it's just like, y'all got to figure this stuff out. Stop telling stories on social media and YouTube because everybody who's at home watching doesn't watch uh, Being the Elite. They don't follow everybody on social media. They're watching this completely like, like, what the fuck is going on? There's just no consistency. These are things that can be fixed. These aren't things that can't be fixed. They are growing pains because they're learning how to work through weeklies. But, man, and then my last thing, and I'll let you have it after this, Cal. I'll let you talk about Moxley, too, which I enjoyed it, but I think it went too long. The women's match had like five minutes of interference. Bryce Renberg, the referee, did absolutely nothing. Just let the match go on. Just blatant interference. <laughs> They've been doing that for weeks. But dog, like weeks. I don't know their rules. This was a singles match for the women's title between Statlander, who I have no idea why I should care about her if I didn't know her from the Indies, and Rio, who is just really, really small, who just kind of shows up periodically. And they have these, this match, and then <laughs> shout out to Anthony Springer, the Brandy Bunch shows up. <laughs> to just have blatant interference for reasons that are completely unbeknownst to me because I'm watching this like why are they interfering in this match to help Rio win I don't get it like why is this happening Bryce Remberg as a referee is watching the interference happen it's not like he's being distracted and be like oh like they're doing the dumb ref stuff it's not that it's just happening in front of his face no DQ just lets the match go and then Rio wins with like some sneaky roll up the match sucked the interference sucked Brandy as like the Stephanie McMahon sucked they got to figure this shit out. You can have it, Kel. <laughs> the Brandy Bunch, I'm over. You know how I feel about Brandy. I've given up on my, my stance on Brandy Rhodes. Like, let's just be honest. She's not Steph. It's okay. We don't, we don't need to plug her into roles every week. 
not everyone has to be on television. That's another thing. Like, it's not necessary. And uh, there's some people like, how about we let Sonny Kiss get on television? Who? Who is that? What? I forgot. Who is that? <laughs> Sonny Kiss is uh, someone who may or may not have been on one of our panels. Uh, just a lovely person who should be on television. Nyla Rose, I, I thought she was just crushing people. She's on and, and off again. I, I thought she was set up. You know, she lost the first title match, but thought we were building to something. Apparently, they don't build to anything. Big Swole has been, who was signed. You know what? You, you have these signings. One thing NXT does really, really well is they make all of these signings feel big time. Whether they pay off or not. Sometimes a guy's EC3. Or Apollo Crews. But you know what? More times than not, they become a big deal. They they didn't make that signing become a big deal because their first two matches were on AEW Dark. Then she had a television match, but there's no angle. They just kind of threw her in there and said, oh, she's part of the roster. If you're going to sign people, have a plan for them before you debut them. Yeah. The Warlow plan seemed pretty good. Yeah. But then you throw them into a feud randomly and then a bunch of old guys and I gotta see DDP hand out yoga cutters <laughs> yoga on cutters. my television screen yes <laughs> yoga cutters on the real like I, I'm not here for that That that's not what I signed up for and above all else please every week I say the same thing the dark order is not going to work they're not. Part of me thinks that they're like they have this dark order as like a placeholder with like these two guys, and then I think um, Stu Grayson weirdly in the match like he goes like they they go out the match. Stu Grayson rolls in and is like ha ha ha. I dare you guys to attack me. And then they just beat the shit out of him. And I was like that was stupid. Yeah. But maybe they're holding out on the dark order for Luke Harper or somebody to take this shit over because it feels they're hanging onto this for a reason. And I can't fathom it's just because of those two anymore has to be somebody that's going to come in and be like, oh, okay, now this makes sense. I, But even then, I'm just like, dude, I don't know. There's one thing, and I'm not sure it's necessary, but one thing that'll save this. And this shit still might flop, because he doesn't need it. If they go into the next pay-per-view, and this was all a build-up, and you hit Marty Skrull's music, and he's the ringleader behind this, I'll give it a shot. Spoiler alert. From what I've gathered from Ring of Honor, because I've just talked to the PR people at Ring of Honor, Marty Skrull is booked for Supercard of Honor, which is WrestleMania weekend in Lakeview, Florida. So that probably means he's not going to be able to show up. Oh, well, I'll be. Yeah. I don't know when his contract runs out. Then. It was supposed to run out at the end of the year. When I talked to Joe Koff, who was the uh, the CEO of ROH, about a year ago, he said that Skrull had a year left on his contract. It should be up at the end of the year. But apparently, either he's working week to week, or I don't know what's going on. Uh, PCO's the champ. I thought Skrull losing was a send-off. But they have his name on the press material. Maybe this is all completely wrong. Um, but yeah. I want to say one last thing before we get out of here, and you can kind of jump on it as well. Um... All of this to say that AEW is in dire need of a mid-card title because they don't have a fucking mid-card. Everybody that wrestles, it's they wrestle and it's like they have the record, right? 
And it's like, all right, cool. Well, they have the record to win the title. But if you have a program where it's clearly we're going Moxie Jericho, what is everybody else doing? Because, yeah, okay, Cody and MJF is your other program. But once whatever happens with Cody and MJF, where does MJF go from here? You got guys like Orange Cassidy. Sammy Guevara, he's just known as the little guy in the inner circle who eats pins for them. Give them something to do. There is no mid-card. That's why we don't see Sonny Kiss. We ain't seen Sean Spears in weeks because they have nothing to do. Because they're wrestling for either the heavyweight title or nothing. It's like only certain guys have programs, but you need to give people a reason to wrestle. And I'm not saying they need like 37 titles. I don't need a 24-7 title, IC title. I just need something in the middle of the card that starts establishing mid-card feuds. Because they've just they are they're top heavy in, in terms of storytelling. Like, okay, you're working towards which seems like Hangman Page breaking off from the elite. Seems like they're clearly heading in that direction. Right? But you look yeah. at Kenny Omega, Pac, Hangman Page, none of them are in the title picture right now. Cody's always gonna be a guy who's gonna be in a major program. These guys need to work for something. MJF would be the perfect television champion, wouldn't he not? And when it get- I mean, you have a litany of young guys like Darby Allen, exactly a guy that you just built up for you know weeks in a program with Cody. You know what? He'd be pretty good. That's why these mid card titles exist, exactly to give people a taste and a run and a feel, and let them work and grow and learn how to be champion. So by the time they are your main champion, it's familiar, it's comfortable. They know how to handle. It's also a heat check. Because if, like in WWE, when, when Ultimate Warrior won the IC title, when he squashed Honky Tonk Man, and Vince saw the reaction to Ultimate Warrior, he was like, oh, shit. Rocket Pack, he's going to be our next yeah. champion. Savage held the IC title. A lot of guys, some guys sucked that held the IC title. Brutus the fucking barbecue beefcake was the IC champion, and nobody gave a shit about it. <laughs> Mr. Perfect, he never was the main champion, but he was an IC champion. Rick Rude, they had programs based around the IC title. Like if you can't, if you, you you're gonna have a two hour show each week, and I'm left wondering where certain guys are. Like you mentioned, Darby Allen, we haven't seen Jimmy Havoc in weeks. These guys don't have anything to do. They're, they're, what are they working for? I have no idea what Sammy Guevara is doing except for eating pins. Better storytelling is absolutely necessary. You remember just a few weeks ago, Scorpio Sky was challenging Jericho for the title. They've done nothing yeah, with that, them since. that ended quick. It, are they still tag champions? They are. But it's like okay. you need somebody, a room. It's, it doesn't have to be the WWE level of room you know, writers. You need a small group of people who are dedicated to developing the, these talents. The Orange Cassidy's, the Darby Allens, the Sean Spears, the Jimmy Havocs, the Sammy Guevara's. Like, all right, Cody, if you want to book your own shit, fine. You've done this long enough. Young Bucks, if you want to book the tag team division, fine. But we're here to start establishing other guys in this company. Because you, you guys are focusing too much on what Jericho has. And everybody can't wrestle Jericho each week. It just can't happen. Luchasaurus and Jake Hager should be in a program. But you've done nothing to develop that in a week-to-week. They are suffering heavily. Women's division just needs a complete overhaul. I don't know what the fuck you're going to do with that. (laughs) And listen, Kenny Omega, I know he's smart. And as a wrestler himself, he's great. I'm not sure. Maybe he's over his head. He means well. But maybe it's just not 
for him. Jordan's one of the best. Jordan's the best basketball player of all time. Sucks as a general manager. Exactly. Sometimes it's just it's not in the cards, which comes so, down to the biggest problem. I raise I raise your mid card title to say that they need writers. They need structure. They don't need an overwhelming Vince, but they need someone to say, you know what? No, we have to do it this way. A storyboard. They need to, they need someone who's going to collect all these ideas and not go willy nilly and long term plan. Gato's already taken. Exactly. Like you need somebody that's going to be the glue that says, "Hey, man, Pac just choked out Nakazawa four weeks ago, allegedly, and we just completely dropped the storyline. Do we need to pick that one back up, guys? Because you guys didn't even think about it for four weeks. They need somebody to say that. Hey, guys. Um. Last. Oh, one more. No, I'm gonna say this like really loud in the mic. No more Canadian destroyers as a transitional move. Cut that shit out. <laughs> I don't if the when Dustin Rhodes does a Canadian destroyer on the ring apron to Sammy Guevara and doesn't pin him after that, what the hell's the point of us doing this move? <laughs> it's become like it's essentially become the super kick, which even worse, it's become the DDT. Jake the Snake used to do the DDT and it ended everybody's life. Now everybody does the DDT. Or the the poison rana. There was a year, I think it was like 2016, where everybody was doing the poison rana. The reverse hurricane. It just doesn't mean anything anymore. But you look at the Canadian destroyer, no matter how many ways you slice it, that move should kill you. And now it's the, the wrestler formerly known as Gold Dust is doing this? Cut it out. As a transition <laughs> move, if it's not a finisher, don't do it. You gotta protect some of these moves. One Wing Angel is the most protected move in pro wrestling. I'm happy about it. But this Canadian destroyer nonsense needs to stop. Everybody does it at least three times a week. Why is Gold Dust half Gold? Or why is Dustin Rhodes half Gold Dust, half Dust? Yeah, I don't know. I don't get that. Uh, Go back to being a cowboy. Right? I don't know. Like, I don't know. Uh, damn. Be the natural. I'm sorry. There was one more thing. I need. I need the old towns to start stop going over. I don't need uh, DDP doing <laughs> yoga cutters on on the new guys. I don't need uh, Cody and Dustin uh, beating the Lucha Bros clean. I don't need that. I don't need that. I know who you are. I need you guys to start developing this other talent. DDP just beating the shit out of uh, Blade and Butcher. That, dude, they show up here. Usually when you establish a new talent, like, put them in squash matches. Establish, who, like, Wardlow should be squashing somebody. Some local talent. Because that's what made Braun Strowman yep. great. Squash matches. Give me a reason why I should care about him. I have no reason to care about this mid-card. It's a fixable thing. I still watch AEW week to week. But these are the problems now that the new car sent is off, and you need to fix them because you won't last another year if you don't. Yeah, I mean, we watch Monday Night Raw week to week. If we can do that, then we can watch anything. <laughs> it's, just, it's, just, it's, it's, just, it's just the truth of it. But, uh, no, nah, man, that's our show for today. We stayed the length of two shows, but we talked about Wrestle Kingdom for an hour, so I can't be too mad at that. We want to thank you guys for sticking with us through this transition. I want to thank Blue Wire for allowing us to be part of the family. One week down, plenty more to come. We will be releasing news on our next Wrestling with Stereotype show. We already know that it is the Friday of WrestleMania week down in Tampa, so... If you guys are booking plans, make sure you guys try to be out there on Friday so you can check us out with a very cool panel. We're going to put it together. It's going to be great. Um, trying to partner up with the For the Culture show. We are part. So we should be rocking. 
<laughs> Spoiler alert. We should be. We're, we are. I've, I've been talking to AJ hey. Gray. We're partnering with them since we're going directly after. So, yeah. You guys stay tuned. Tickets will be announced soon. But, like, listen to Kel. If you can't get there Friday, try to get there Thursday because Wally Mania is Thursday night. You guys don't want to miss that. Yeah. If you get there Thursday night, you're just going to see me belligerently drunk. Oh. So, I mean, that's that's also fine. Yeah. I mean, this is just what's going to happen. I'm still young enough to get drunk. I got to do it while I can, man. Do it while I can. And uh, so, meet me by the bar, Wally Mania. Not drinks on me because those ESPN checks are not going to pay for this. I can't expense any of this. So, it's coming out of pocket, but we can hang around each other while I get drunk. That's as much as I can promise. And uh, my goal for 2020, I forgot to say this on the last show, no stupid bets this year. I refuse to keep losing bets to Andreas. I will not buy any more of his meals. Hey, you still so me. if you catch us in Tampa, we will be having a steak dinner. If he does not corner me before then, it probably happened during Wilder Fury Week. But he has a dinner with his name on it, and I am sad. Yeah, only smart bets this you year. You can run, but you can't hide. Uh, I'm getting that steak. <laughs> Thank you guys for listening to us. Until next week, peace.